following program is in English. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, it's L'Chaim time, to life, Jewish life and more. And more it is with another full program ahead of us, albeit with our regular radio tour guide, Effie Yacobi, MIA, as he is out in the field being an ambassador for Israel with his great guiding. If you'll be back with us next week. I mentioned in the introduction last week that the UN, United Nothing, hosted a Kumbaya Solidarity event in the General Assembly for the Palestinians on the 29th of November, the symbolic day the UN voted in favour of the partition plan for the British mandate Palestine as a forerunner to the vote in favour of the establishment of the State of Israel, May 1948. Well, surprise, surprise, in the next few days after the Kumbaya Palestinian Solidarity event, the anti-Semitic United Nothing passed another three more hostile anti-Israel resolutions against Israel, adding to the more anti-Israel resolutions against Israel compared to the rest of the world combined. I ask again, please tell me I'm wrong when I describe the UN as being hostile to Israel, anti-Semitic. I seriously doubt that I am. I also spoke last week about David Draymond, the lead singer of the very popular heavy rock band, Disturbed, travelling to Israel to light a candle for L.E.K. of blessed memory, the recent victim of Hamas terrorism in Jerusalem. Well, we're kicking off tonight's L'Chaim with a clip of the mensch, David Draymond in Jerusalem, with his powerful message and leading some singing, which will be followed by two more very interesting guests and another on-point David Schulberg L'Chaim mythbuster. This is L'Chaim, two live Jewish life and more, here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. I'm Yisrael Chai. How you feel walking the same way that Billy Kay did? Creepy. <laughs> I've walked this path more times than I can count. So where was the actual start of the it, it was um, a little bit uh, up here, yeah. Um, the attacker was inside the Laksa Mosque. He got out yeah. and uh, he pulled an automatic uh, uh, gun. Oh, I remember uh, I saw it. Yeah, and... Uh, Ellie was right on the moment. He shot him many times at the beginning. He was uh, severely injured, but then he shot him one more time in the head. Of course, right? I don't know why specifically this time broke me. I guess because I had walked that path so many times going to the coffin. I always used to take the shortcut through the ship. So how does it feel walking the streets again? You've been in this path for so long in your life. Walk these stairs, walk this pathway, walk the exact same direction that Ellie did. A hundred times, a thousand times, I don't know how many times. But it's nice to be able to show everyone and to make a statement we're not afraid and that we're not going anywhere. I refused to be intimidated. It infuriated me the way they covered the incident. The American media, the British media, the European media. It was terrible. What did you see in their coverage? Palestinian shot dead. Not that there was a terror attack. So biased and so easily used and manipulated as a tool to sow more hatred of our people. If you were the news editor, 
What would you write? The truth. And that is? That a terrorist, a Hamas terrorist, committed a unjustifiable terror attack again and shed innocent blood again. You seem furious. Oh, beyond. Beyond. Furious doesn't quite cover it. Does all Jewish superstars in the United States feel the same as you feel? No. And why is that? They don't have the connection I do. What connection? My father was a Tzanchani, you know? So was oh. my grandfather. My grandmother was also in the army. She, my whole family has a tremendous history here, has tremendous history defending this country and being proud of who we are and what we stand for, and that's never going to change. You can do it here, David. It happens just right here. Well, it was very, very meaningful. It was overwhelming to see so many people here. Mm -hmm. It was very, very heartwarming and gratifying. And I'm, I'm glad that that everyone came. I'm glad that you know we could do something to, you know, during this holiday of Hanukkah, you know, to shed a little bit more light in the darkness. And hopefully, uh, some of that energy is reaching Elie Kay, and some of that energy is reaching his family. And may his memory be a blessing to them. When you are in a position like I am, or when you're in a position like Gal Gadot is in, or any of the people that thankfully have the gumption and the wherewithal and the courage to do what we're doing, the amount of danger, real, real tangible danger that you put yourself in in order to be a voice is, you know, Frightening doesn't cover it. What do you say about, like, when the Palestinians are saying that we live under occupation? They're not justifying just murders, but they say there's other side here that maybe you should also talk with them or about them. Of course. Do you, do you feel course. them? Listen, I feel that everyone in this part of the world, being as close as we are in blood lineage to one another, particularly Arabs and Jews, mm -hmm. we are both sons of Abraham. We both come from the same bloodline. We are. We both essentially worship the same God. We are family, and we should be treating each other as such. Maybe they say family don't occupy the family. No. Well, that depends on how you determine occupation, doesn't it? And how, you define how, how, how you determine it? Well, to me, the only occupation we are having right now is occupying the place that has been our home since the early days when we first came over here. There's no reason why we can't coexist with each other and why we shouldn't coexist with each other. It's not occupation if it's your home. It's, it's always a pleasure to come back home. And it's always a pleasure to be back with my family and hopefully we get to come back again soon as a band and, and be able to play another show here. And Maybe you'll move here, that's it. 
Yeah, it's a good idea. Maybe, maybe I already did and I didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, David Draymond. As I said, mensch. And definitely disturbed. Disturbed with the world's hostile anti-Semitic attitude and treatment towards Israel. Up next, my guest, Lynn Julius, is also disturbed by the world's flagrant one-sidedness and selective memory. In 2014, the Knesset established the Memorial Commemoration Observance of Yom Litzion HaYetziah VeHagarush Shel HaYochudim Marpsot Arav Um Iran, the day to mark the expulsion and departure of the Jews from Arab countries and Iran. November 30 is a date that was chosen since it's symbolically the day following November 29, the day the United Nations Partition Plan for Palestine was adopted. And when many communities of Jews in Arab countries and Iran started to feel the pressure and hostility from their Arab and Persian neighbours, and as a result, they were forced to leave their countries. The exodus of 850,000 plus Jewish refugees from Arab and Muslim countries commencing 1948. I'm delighted to have join us tonight on Lachaim, Lynn Julius. Lynn is a journalist and co-founder of Harif, the United Kingdom Association of Jews from Middle East, Middle East, from the Middle East and North Africa. Lynn Julius, welcome to Lachaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Well, thank you very much for having me. Lynn, could you please tell our Lachaim listeners what Harif is all about? Well, Harif is the UK Association of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. It was founded about 16 years ago now with the objective of raising awareness of the history and culture of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. And the reason was because, well, I live in Britain in a majority Ashkenazi community. Most of the diaspora, I think, except for France, is majority Ashkenazi. And there is very little knowledge of the existence of Mustafa Abdim or Mizrahim. Well, understandably, because they are a, a small minority of the Jewish community. It's very important, I feel, to know about their history because they are an essential part of Middle Eastern politics the Jews from the Middle East and North Africa are almost extinct now. The communities, I mean, are almost extinct. Practically everybody's been driven into exile and only 4,000 Jews are left. Of course, there are still communities in Iran, about 8,000, and uh, there's one in Turkey, uh, estimated to number about 10,000. But the Arab countries have more or less wiped out their Jewish communities. And this is something which, if people know about it, it absolutely transforms their perception of the Middle East conflict. Because the truth is that two sets of refugees were produced by the conflict. One set is very well known, the Palestinian refugees, and the other set is almost unknown. And this is what I was trying to do when we set up Harif. And the name Harif, spicy, clever, smart, or all of the yeah, above? Yeah, very good. All you got it. All, all, of, the got it. <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. It also has a meaning in Arabic, which we thought was rather nice. I think it means autumn in Arabic. Oh, lovely, lovely. Spicy is lovely. I like a bit of Harif. Lynn, we hear ad nauseum about the so-called Palestinian refugees, all four, five hand-me-down generations of them. Yet the anti-Semitic world and anti-Semitic UN choose to acknowledge very little about the 850,000 Jewish refugees from the Arab Muslim world and Iran, if at all. 
You've written a book, Uprooted, How 3,000 Years of Jewish Civilization in the Arab World Vanished Overnight. Please take us through that and your reason for putting pen to paper about this hostile, tragic exodus of Jews at the time. Well, I'm the daughter of Jewish refugees from Iraq. They came to England in 1950. They were amongst a small minority who actually didn't go to Israel. And uh, as I was saying before, there's very little known about these Jews. And I wanted to raise awareness There is, in fact, almost nothing written about them. The first mainstream book on the subject was written by Sir Martin Gilbert and is called In Ishmael's House, and that was published in 2010. But other than that, it's a sort of very niche academic subject. You know, a few obscure academics in ivory towers have written about it, but it really hasn't reached the public at large. And this is what I was trying to do. You know, it's meant to be a readable, accessible book. It's got 21 stories, first-hand stories by various Jews from Arab countries. And, you know, I really want to set the record straight in this book. It actually grows out of a blog that I've been updating every day for the last 16 years called Point of No Return. And after about 10 years of doing this, I thought, well, I've learned so much and, you know, perhaps I should put the highlights in a book. And this is what I've done. Well done. About 600,000 of these Jewish refugees went to Israel, doubling the population overnight. Little Israel, with absolute meagre resources to house feed or to employ these newcomers properly, went about absorbing the refugees in what were very difficult times, with the Mizrahim moving on, rebuilding their lives and making a massive, massive blessed contribution to Israel. The Palestinians chose victimhood and to be political pawns. Lynn, why is it important to include the Mizrahim exodus in the peace settlement equation? Well, I think if you only take into account one set of refugees, the Palestinian refugees, you know, it's not truthful, it's distorted, and it's unbalanced. And therefore, you know, that's why the Jewish refugees are so important. Although, of course, they wouldn't consider themselves as refugees now. They've been fully absorbed and resettled, whether in Israel or in the West. But of course, as you say, the Palestinians have been weaponized. Uh, They've been kept in this refugee status for three generations now. I think we need to remind the world that this other set of Jewish refugees has actually been resettled. A humanitarian solution has been found for them. But that doesn't mean that the Palestinians, you know, should be seen as the only victims here. And incidentally, there were more Jewish refugees than Palestinian refugees Uh, Also, the Jews were the largest non-Muslim population of refugees from the Middle East up until the exodus of Christians from Iraq in 2002. Not to dismiss the financial and uh, business wealth that was confiscated from the expelled Mizrahim, Jewish refugees own over 100,000 square kilometres, more land than Lebanon and Jordan combined, and still hold deeds on these Arab lands. Again, should this not be a spotlighted issue as part of the peace deal? Yeah, absolutely. When you say they've got deeds, well, of course, a lot of them left in such a hurry that a lot of them do not have the deeds. And in fact, a disappointing number of refugees filled in claims forms And this has hampered the effort to actually quantify how much was lost. 
But there is an organization called Justice for Jews from Arab Countries, JJAC, and they've been conducting an audit, an assessment of how much was actually lost. And I don't think they've actually announced the figures officially, but it is rumored that about 300 or 330 billion dollars of property and assets were lost by Jews in Arab and Muslim countries. And this figure dwarfs the amount lost by Palestinians, which is estimated to be something like 30 billion. As you say, it puts things into perspective. You know, we hear so much about Israel, I don't know, grabbing land in the West Bank or something like that. And yet, uh, when you consider the enormity of what Jews lost in the Middle East as a whole, you know, it really puts things into perspective. Absolutely. And I've got an idea that that figure of $330 billion goes back a number of years. So it's certainly worth probably a lot more, getting close to a gazillion. These Jews in the Arab countries in Iran were not part of the War of Independence and were punished for what went on in Israel, namely victory and survival. I mean, you believe the understanding of the Jews of the Middle East is a key to understanding the whole Middle East conflict. How so? Yes, I do. And I think what we've seen is a gradual kind of erosion of minorities in the whole Middle East. And, you know, even those minorities with no Israel of their own have been persecuted and have been made to leave. I'm thinking of the Yazidis, I'm thinking of the Copts, the Assyrian Christians. I I believe you in in Australia have a rather large community of uh, Yazidis, Assyrians and Mandeans. And these are the sort of original indigenous populations of Iraq, together with the Jews. And so we've seen this sort of gradual process of ethnic simplification, if you like, so that the whole Middle East and much of North Africa is now monolithically Muslim and Arab. And they've managed to get rid of all their minorities. And so I do see what's happened to the Jews as part of this process You know, it's even happening in Israel, where by this process of intimidation and harassment, Jews are leaving mixed towns. We saw it in May, in Akko, for instance, uh, or in Ramle. And so we've got to stop this. You know, like Israel is the last bastion, if you like, of Jewish life in the Middle East, the Jews having been kicked out of everywhere else. And I think it's worth saying that the Jews are an indigenous people of the region. They have every right to be there. They have every right to have a sovereign state in the area and to have self-determination. And in fact, since we know it's been a very hostile uh, place and it's very difficult to survive in this region, the only way to survive really is to be able to defend yourself in your own sovereign state. And the Jews are lucky enough to achieve this in the state of Israel. I mean to that. As you indicated, the greater number of Jews were displaced uh, than the Palestinian Arabs from Israel. And however, the plight and the disposition of the Jewish refugees remains an unresolved and unrecognized injustice. Do you feel that with your book, you've gained any traction? Are we getting extra exposure out there? Well, I hope so. I think it has made a difference. I've given dozens of talks about the book. It's now in uh, Norwegian, in Portuguese and in Arabic. 
which is actually very exciting. Uh, the Arabic translation has just been put on uh, online. So the book is not actually going to be published as such, but people will be able to access this website and read it online. And uh, we hope that it will, you know, change people's views and uh, give them more information about what actually happened instead of, you know, the lies and the myths that people usually um, believe. You know, they, they might get some proper information, some facts Norwegian's very interesting. They, you know, they have a propensity to be a bit hostile to Israel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been very lucky that there is a pro-Israel group in Norway called MIF, who are composed of, you know, sympathetic Christians and, and others who actually, you know, do understand Israel's point of view. And they publish a book in Norwegian every year. And two years ago, they selected my book to be published and therefore, I was lucky enough to be invited over there for a launch. And it was all very exciting. I hope it sells well and uh, people take notice. Lynn, if people want to follow you and Harif and perhaps get a, a hold of your book, what should they do? Well, my book is for sale on Amazon and other reputable <laughs> sites. You're welcome to join the mailing list at Harif. We have a website, www.harif.org. And we've been running a very active Zoom program since the pandemic began. In fact, our next uh, speaker is an Australian journalist, and she will be speaking on the 14th of December about the Jews of Indonesia. So that might interest your audience. She will specifically be focusing on the Iraqi Jews who uh, settled in Indonesia. But I do invite you all to join our mailing list and keep up to date with our activities. That sounds like a very, very interesting Zoom. Lynn Julius, co-founder of Harith, the United Kingdom Association of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa, author of the book, Uprooted, How 3,000 Years of Jewish Civilization in the Arab World Vanished Overnight. Many thanks for joining us on Lachaim to Life, Jewish Life and More with your wonderful knowledge and the insight of the Mizrahim journey to and in Israel. Yasha Koyach to you, and I'll be joining the mailing list. Well, thank you. I look forward to seeing you online. You will. Stay well. I'm
I think our listeners will have to agree with my comment in tonight's intro that we have another full Lachaim lined up, and that it was. Back in late September, our guest on Lachaim was Ernie Friedlander with the B'nai B'rith, JNF Australia, and the Australian Jewish News Changemaker Awards. Well, the awards were announced on Monday, and we here at Lachaim would like to congratulate all the winners for the acknowledgement of their great work. I want to make mention of one young recipient changemaker, Benji Orwin. He's been a guest of mine on air a couple of times, first up in May 2019, when he was only nine. Benji collects socks and distributes them to people in need all over the world. Benji now, in year six, continues to grow his not-for-profit Socks for Support and was recently selected as the face of this year's Mitzvah Day. Benji organised a group of year six peers to assist him wrap up hundreds of pairs of socks to include in hampers for the homeless. Well done and muzzle tough to change maker Benji Orwood. Keep up your great work and we'll chat to you on Lachaim in February, sock boy. Speaking of change makers, the late Eddie Jaku, who passed away most recently at the age of 101, was a real change maker. The state memorial for Eddie will take place at the Sydney Town Hall at 10am next Wednesday, the 15th of December, 2021. For details on the memorial, the 10am live stream online condolence book and accessibility information, please visit www.nsw.gov.au forward slash state services. I was blessed to have interviewed Eddie twice, the last time when he turned 100. Eddie Jaku, a real change maker. Baruch Dayan HaEmet. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3ZZZ dot com dot au click on the down arrow in the listen to a show square and scroll down to the jewish group you'll find it there links to youtube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the lachaim and morris klein facebook pages tomorrow 
L'Chaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at L'Chaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team L'Chaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Mori Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. We're closing out tonight's L'Chaim with a song from one of my favourite singers, Nat King Cole, with his beautiful popular standard, Smile. Smile is a song based on an instrumental theme used in the soundtrack for Charlie Chaplin's 1936 movie, Modern Times. Chaplin composed the music inspired by Puccini's Tosca. The lyrics and the title were added in 1954, based on lines and themes from the film. Nat King Cole is telling the listener to cheer up and that there's always a bright tomorrow, just as long as you smile. So please keep on smiling with a lachaim or two. So thank you for tuning in and please join us again next week on Lachaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai and peace. Your heart is aching Smile even though it's breaking When there are clouds In the sky You'll get by If you smile through your fear and sorrow Smile and maybe You'll see the sun come shining through for you Light up your face with gladness Hide every trace of sadness Although a tear Maybe ever so near That's the time you must keep on trying Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile That's the time you must keep on trying Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile 
if you just smile.